live from Liverpool, the dark paranormal season twelve. Hello, everyone, and I can't believe I'm about to utter these words, but welcome to the season finale of season twelve. Hand on heart, this feels like the quickest season that's ever flown by. And I'd like to thank each and every one of you for joining us on this journey as we continue through to season 13 in a few weeks' time. There are plenty of true paranormal podcasts out there, but I created The Dark Paranormal for this place to be where the darker side resides. And it's 100% been down to your submissions, you, the listener, that's kept it that way. And long may it continue. I've long since said this is your show, and I am merely the curator of your experiences and your feedback. And to prove that's not just lip service, many of you have said this season it's taken a long time to get to the main experience. Therefore, from today... And moving forward, we will move the Patreon thank you names to the end of the show. So, Patreons will still get their thank you, and everyone will get to the experience much quicker. Secondly, many people have said they can't afford in this climate to support Patreon and therefore get extra content. Therefore, from season 13 onwards, we will be including minisodes in between each main experience. And for people on our Patreon, do not fret. Nothing from our Dark Bites podcast will feature on those minisodes. And those minisodes will show up ad-free on your Patreon feed. When you sign up to Patreon, not only will you receive these episodes both ad-free and before everyone else, but you can also receive exclusive access to our Patreon-only podcast, Dark Bites. Dark Bites is a weekly 30-minute show which takes a look at some of the experiences that were too short to feature on The Dark Paranormal. It's released each and every Sunday of the year, meaning you never miss your paranormal fix, even when there's a break in season coming up, as there is now. And there's a back catalogue of around 50 hours worth of Patreon-only material for you to binge. But the best thing about our Patreon team is its community. We've built a wonderful community of like-minded paranormal enthusiasts over at Patreon, and we'd love to extend an exclusive invitation just for you. So to be the first to hear season debuts, ad-free early released episodes and minisodes, and of course full access to the Dark Bites back catalogue, simply head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. Now, the date you need to put in your diaries for the debut episode of season 13 is none other than Friday the 13th of October. And I am giddy with excitement for this upcoming season, because it's our season. It's Halloween. It will start on Friday the 13th, and it will go on for 10 episodes. And I know what those 10 episodes are going to be, and believe me, we're not just skirting with the darkness this time around, we're staring it directly in the face. But before we get there, I'd just like to say we are going to run a small competition, and the prize is an item of dark paranormal merch from our store of your choice, and all you have to do to enter is go and follow my new Instagram for my new podcast, The Deadly Countdown. Just hop onto Instagram and head over to at Deadly Countdown. The podcast will launch on Friday the 27th of October with three episodes looking at the Amityville murders, the demoniac Michael Taylor and the vampire of Hanover. And anyone who's followed the page by that date will enter the draw to win some merch from the Dark Paranormal store. And that winner will be announced on this show halfway through season 13. So once again, head over to Instagram and follow at Deadly Countdown. But we are about to hear one of the most amazing experiences I've literally ever read. And it's still going on. Even after I've edited this episode, I received a further update. 
so be sure to listen out at the end of this show for that update. Now, you really need to get comfy for this one. It's a bit of a lengthy experience, but believe me, it's worth it. Usually, when I receive an experience, I do two things. Firstly, I try and trim the fat. I remove any excess detail which I don't deem relevant. And secondly, I will change the name of the experience the person submitted to make it fit more with what I feel the experience entails. But after reading this experience, I knew I could do neither, because both were perfect. So, for the final time this season, please, lower the lights, make yourself extra comfortable, and most importantly, leave your disbelief at the door, as we hear all about the haunting of a lifetime. I've been wanting to put my experience down in words for a while now, and perhaps make a bit more sense of it all, but I just never seem to find the time. So, with the help of my wife, I've decided to stop procrastinating and just go for it. The medium you provide that allows people to get their stories out in a safe and respected manner is fantastic, and without it, I don't know if I'd ever tell my experience. I was born in the west of Ireland in the early 90s, into a family of Irish travellers. I'm the eldest of two children, and as such, it was just me and my parents for the first few years of my life. We still partially lived a nomadic lifestyle during those early years, by which I mean although we had a council house, it was so badly run down that we lived in a caravan in the front garden. We'd move that caravan to my grandparents for several weeks, sometimes months at a time, throughout the year, as a kind of holiday. Living in a caravan was common practice on the housing estate where I lived, the majority of which were also of the travelling community, and the houses were more used for storage or not at all. To provide a little bit of background on the house we lived at, there had previously been a child who'd lived there with his family and was killed in the front garden due to some tragic accident. This occurred less than a decade prior to us moving in. But back to the story. As I mentioned, the houses were mainly used for storage which meant some of my bigger toys would be stored there during the night, or if we went away. This included a battery-operated ride-on car that was particularly loud and distinctive. Well, this car often kept us up late, as we would hear it being played with inside the house from our caravan at all hours of the night. Initially, my father would run in the house checking for intruders, but after several searches, he'd finally accept there was nobody inside. Another instance of this occurred one evening when we'd returned home from one of our holidays at my grandparents, and this time was witnessed by several people. The house had been completely boarded up whilst we were away for security reasons, and the boards were removed immediately in order to inspect the cause of the commotion coming from inside the house. But once again, no one was inside. However, the toys were not in the same place they had been before we left, and I can't find one logical reason as to why a battery-operated toy, which, by the way, had been left uncharged for several months could blatantly be heard operating by several witnesses, both in broad daylight and in a completely boarded-up house. I'll let you draw your own conclusion on that. However, if it was indeed just the spirit of the poor little boy who met its untimely end in the garden, then there was certainly something else there too. Something a lot more sinister. Shortly before my brother was born, 
I began having, for want of a better word, accidents. I'd be playing with my toys or simply sitting down, and all of a sudden, I would violently fall to the ground. Nothing too out of the ordinary there, right? I mean, kids fall. Wrong. Kids don't fall like this. I have one very vivid recollection of when I'd been reaching up for something on one of the higher cupboards above our bed in the caravan when I went to step down from the bed and I was suddenly suspended in mid-air. I dangled there for a few seconds before being violently and forcefully slammed to the floor face first. I can still feel the force against my upper back of an invisible hand shoving me towards the floor. My mother, who I told several times about these ongoing things, perhaps initially thought I was just a bit clumsy. However, she had now become increasingly concerned, mainly due to the fact that I was now getting bruised and battered from the ridiculous number of falls I was having. And so she decided to take me to a friary in a neighbouring town. We're Roman Catholics, and although I don't go to Mass every Sunday or have huge faith in the church as an institution, I still have very strong beliefs in the teachings of my faith and in God. My mother, as well as all of our previous generations, would have been very devout Catholics. I was clearly very healthy, apart from the falls, and I think my mother knew deep down this wasn't a medical issue, and so she opted to go to the friary for a blessing, rather than the doctor's office for a checkup. However, the priest in the friary was not much help, and although the advice he gave her was perhaps good advice, he didn't take into account the extenuating circumstances, or indeed the seriousness of the problems we were having. He simply told us to not give much notice nor credibility to these type of things. He gave us a general blessing and sent us on our merry way. But things didn't stop there. A few weeks later, my mother woke up in the middle of the night to find the streetlight which was shining through the caravan window was somehow projecting a written message onto the internal wall of the room. The words were in a foreign language. Maybe Italian, maybe Latin. She'd done her best to try and read it and pronounce the words displayed. Although to this day, she still doesn't know what they said, nor what they meant. But this clearly left her feeling much more anxious about everything going on. But it would be what happened next that was the final straw for her. One afternoon, after our weekly trip for groceries, I was rummaging through one of the shopping bags, looking for sweets, no doubt, when my mother witnessed firsthand what I'd been telling her for months. Frozen with shock, she looked on helplessly as I was lifted up, held in the air for a couple of seconds, and once more thrown against the ground with a sickening thud, she said she will never forget the look of both innocence and horror on my face as I happily searched the bag for treats and was suddenly attacked by something neither of us could see nor understand. She grabbed me and my infant brother and rushed right to the car. She drove straight to our local parish priest's house and he met her in the driveway, asking if she was okay. But she was obviously physically shaking at this point, so he hurried us into the parochial home. As calm as she could, she explained the story to him. And he went out and brought back this tiny black prayer book. She said it was the smallest she'd ever seen. And he began to pray in Latin. After ten minutes, he stopped, looked up and said, Everything should be okay now, but if not, I'll have to come and pray in your home. The falling did stop at this point, and a few months later, 
we moved to live with my grandmother on a permanent basis. My grandfather had passed away, and we didn't want her to be on her own. This put an end to our nomadic lifestyle. My parents also separated at this point, and I moved into my grandmother's house pretty much full-time, so as not to leave her alone at night in an empty house. My mother and brother stayed in the caravan in the back garden for a few years, until my mother was finally given a council house a few miles away. It was strange going from a city where I was surrounded by other travellers to then living in the countryside where I was the only one in my whole school from that background. My whole world had changed, but I adapted well, and I can proudly say I have a great respect and understanding for both communities. Communities that perhaps don't always see eye to eye. For the next decade or so, things were quiet on the paranormal front. I mean, there was plenty of activity, just all low-key kind of stuff, like shadows darting across the room, human-shaped silhouettes in my peripheral vision. I'd grown accustomed to this type of thing, so it didn't bother me too much. To me, it was kind of normal. In my final year of secondary school, we went on a retreat and we were given a talk by a priest. Surprisingly enough, this priest welcomed discussion on the existence of evil and the devil, and, unlike most priests, was openly willing to converse about topics such as demonic possession. He even told us some actual first-hand experience he'd had, and gave us some practical life advice on the matter, such as never to mess with Ouija boards. He also reiterated the advice I'd heard in the friary all those years before, which was to never give too much attention or credibility to something you suspect as being evil, but rather to focus your attention on God and on prayer. He also told us that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ has the power over all evil and also has the power to command it away from you. This advice would prove to be more than useful than I realised at the time. A few weeks later, I was up later than usual, watching TV. So late I probably should have been in bed, what with having school the next day. I noticed through the corner of my eye a silhouette slipping past the doorway. The door was closed in order to limit the noise from the TV, but the door had two large glass panels, and I could see through, which gave me a clear view of anyone passing up or down the hall. I thought it might have been my grandmother, coming to scold me for being up so late, but after a quick bathroom trip, I noticed from the hallway that I could hear her breathing rhythmically in her sleep. I shrugged this off and went back to my perch on the couch. No more than a minute or two sat back down, and I saw it again. It was still in my peripheral vision, but this time I could see it a lot more clearly, and it moved much slower but in the opposite direction. The hair on my arms and on the back of my neck stood on end like metal rods. I knew I was in the presence of something evil. All of a sudden, I was startled by the bell from the old landline telephone which gave three rings with a short pause between each ring. Now, I should add that that landline telephone itself had been disconnected years before, and even when it was in use, the bell on that phone in the room which I was sitting had not worked since the 1980s. My eyes darted up to the clock, and it had just struck 3am. 
I was aware even then that paranormal occurrences, particularly ones influenced by an evil or demonic entity, are allegedly more active at 3am, and the sounds etc that you may hear also happen in a repetition of three, apparently supposed to represent a mockery of the Holy Trinity, as if evil is trying to tell us it is not afraid of the Holy Trinity. I turned off the TV immediately. I wanted to scream and run to my bedroom, but I was keen to heed the advice I'd heard weeks before and not give this thing any credibility. I had to turn the light off in this room before I went to bed, but the thought of this terrified me. I placed my hand on the light switch and before entering into the hall, I made the sign of the cross and whispered to myself, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I order Satan and all evil out of this house and away from me and my family. I said these words and then turned off the light switch. The light bulb exploded in the socket like a hand grenade, sending tiny shards of glass to every corner of the room. I sprinted to the bedroom and dove onto the bed. After a few minutes, my grandmother came in to see what all the commotion was. I explained to her what happened, and she reassured me everything was okay, but also said I shouldn't be up at such hours of the night. As a 17-year-old boy on the verge of adulthood, it was pretty embarrassing to have to be reassured by my grandmother that I didn't have to hide in my bedroom. But honestly, I was very glad of her being there. We cleaned up the mess the following morning and did our best to just forget about the whole situation. Time rolled on as it does and not long after finishing school, I was on the road with a full license and driving to college every day. A few months into college and I found myself in my first ever serious relationship. And I can proudly say that that same lady is now my lovely wife. The only problem at that time was, she was in a college around 150 miles away from where I was. And seeing as I had a car, and she didn't, I took it upon myself to make the journey to see her every week. But being the love-struck puppy that I was at the time, it actually turned out to be a bit more frequent than that. Now, given the fact I was in college full-time, I found myself on the road quite a bit, and I became very well acquainted with the route upon which I travelled with such regularity. One sunny evening whilst making my usual journey, I noticed quite an odd-looking man standing at the side of the road. He was a tall, skinny man who looked around 70 years old if I had to guess. He had a short white beard and wore a long black trench coat with a matching large fedora-style hat and a black leather briefcase which sat on the ground in front of him. He stood close to the edge of the road as if he was hitchhiking, but his arms just hung by his side. He glared at me through my windscreen as I drove past, staring straight into my eyes. Taken aback for a moment by this strange character and the intense look he'd given me, something didn't sit quite right, so my eyes snapped to the rearview mirror, and he was nowhere to be seen. Did I imagine him? Were my eyes playing tricks on me? I'd probably just driven too far down the road by the time I checked the mirror, and he'd just gone out of sight. Anyway, I continue on with my journey, without stopping, and no other vehicles overtaking me. Yet around 15 minutes later, as I'm passing through the next town, there he was. The same unmistakable man, with a sickening smile across his face, and the same icy stare straight into my eyes. I contemplated stopping for a moment, but then I got that feeling again. The one I'd only had a couple of times in the past. 
something primal and perhaps spiritual within me, told me to put my foot down hard. I flew past him once again, and once again I checked my rearview mirror, also my wing mirror just to be thorough. I even turned and looked over my shoulder, but no sign of him. I ransacked my mind, trying to come up with a realistic explanation for what could have happened, but I just couldn't justify it. A few moments later, as I sped down the road, panicked and eager to reach my destination, and I couldn't believe my eyes. There he was, again. More panic set in. I flew past him as quickly as I could, this time only checking the mirror to confirm what I already knew. He wasn't there. I had a little bottle of holy water given to me by my grandmother to keep me safe whilst on the road. I reached for it, quickly shook it around the car and blessed my face. I began to pray and continued to do so for the remainder of my journey. I didn't see him again, thankfully, and I arrived safe and sound at my destination a little while later. Both my wife and I only finished the first year in college and a few months later we decided to move in together. We moved to a rented house, only a couple of towns over from where I'd grown up. We were still only 18 and didn't have many belongings. I'm sure like many couples leaving home at a young age to start a life together. Amongst my wife's things was a small vanity mirror set in a light timber frame attached at either side to a stand which would keep it upright. When she was moving away for college the previous year, she was looking for a mirror to do her makeup and such, and so her grandparents had found this second-hand at a local car boot sale and gifted it to her. One evening, whilst my wife was in the bedroom carrying out chores, the mirror fell from the chest of drawers upon which it was placed, my wife, who was standing at the opposite side of the room, was obviously startled by the bang and gave a loud yelp. I heard the bang and the yelp and rushed upstairs to see what was wrong. As I reached the landing, I had a clear view through the bedroom doorway and could see my wife as she was beginning to explain that everything was okay and it was only the mirror that had fallen. She began to walk over to pick it up but was still a good five or six feet away when, all of a sudden, the mirror launched itself off the ground and across the room, striking my wife across the forearm. She ran to me in terror, a clear look of shock across her face. She was left with a big red mark on her forearm from the impact. After nursing her wounds for a few minutes downstairs, I reached for my reliable bottle of holy water and ventured back upstairs. I said the same trusted prayers that I'd said many times in this type of situation. As I prayed, I shook the holy water across the now cracked glass of the mirror, and then shook an extra bit for good measure. I took my wife out of the house for a while to try and get her mind off everything that had just happened. When we returned later that evening, I realised I'd forgotten to throw the mirror in the bin. I went upstairs to do so, and when I picked up the mirror, I found that the holy water had dried. But rather than just drying up and disappearing, it instead had formed a white, powdery stain near the centre of the mirror. And this stain was in the shape of a twisted, evil, demonic-looking face. I said nothing and turned the mirror around for my wife to see. Her jaw dropped as she froze in horror. She could see it too. We ran to the bin together, mirror in hand, and slammed the lid shut as we disposed of the bloody thing. I shook an extra sprinkle of holy water on top first though, just to keep whatever evil was inside in with the rubbish until the bin men came the following morning. The rental market in Ireland was becoming a mess at this stage, and several houses that we rented ended up being repossessed from the landlords. So, a couple of years later, we'd ended up moving to a second, third, and indeed a fourth house. 
this house was situated in a different town, around 25 miles away from where we first lived. And it was in this house that my wife became pregnant with our first child. After such wonderful news, we decided to go through our belongings and get rid of some old junk, just in order to make room for the baby's things. My wife was going through what we refer to as the hot press, which I suppose is really just a linen closet, but also houses a hot water boiler. All of a sudden, I heard my wife gasp in horror, and she called me over frantically. I rushed over half expecting to find a spider or even a mouse, but what I found left me puzzled and terrified. There, at the back of the hot press, amongst all our junk, sat the very same broken mirror, the one we'd thrown away at our first house, the same crack along the glass, the very same evil face looking up at us. After the shock wore off, we contemplated how to dispose of it once again, as the bin obviously didn't work. We decided to repeat the process, but this time I rang my mother and told her what had happened. I suppose just to validate to myself that I'd actually thrown it away and I wasn't just imagining it. We ended up having to move house again because where we were living developed a serious leak in the roof and it wasn't suitable for a newborn baby. And it didn't seem like it would be fixed before our son was going to arrive, so we found another house for rent, which was actually in the same housing estate as where we first lived. We moved in and soon after the baby was born, and we settled into life as parents. The next few months passed quite normally, and we were happy. Life was good. One sunny afternoon... My wife was doing our washing in the utility room, which doubled as a hallway leading to a downstairs bathroom at the rear of the house. All of a sudden, she stormed into the sitting room where I was sat watching TV. Look! she exclaimed. I was speechless. There, in her hands, was the same fucking mirror that I'd thrown away twice. I grabbed it and we got into the car. I squeezed it tightly as I prayed with all my might and commanded it in the name of Jesus Christ to stay away from me and my family. Now, I'm not one to litter, but I drove out into the countryside and flung it out of the window into a big ditch that was overgrown with bushes and brambles. Thankfully, we've never seen that mirror since, and if we never do, it will still be too soon. Let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank account. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step-by-step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to-do list with Policy Genius. So head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. To rewind back a little bit about 18 months earlier, whilst we were still living in the house where we'd found the mirror for the second time, we owned three very small dogs. They slept in a large crate downstairs during the night. Now, It's worth mentioning that there was a little bit of activity whilst we were in the house. 
but it seemed harmless. We often heard the sound of a little girl laughing, and, oddly enough, the sound of carousel music playing, faintly as if in the distance. As I said, it didn't seem like anything to worry about, and so we didn't take a whole lot of notice. Our dogs were very well trained and never made a peep at night, but on this particular night they were fed, hydrated, and had been let out to do their business just before we went to bed. The dogs did, however, really dislike strangers, and although small, they would bark aggressively at the sight of anyone that they didn't know. Well, we're in bed a couple of hours later, and it's around 1am, when the dogs began barking frantically. I first thought that a cat must have passed by our glass sliding door and triggered the centre light, which would have alerted the dogs. I called to the dogs from the top of the stairs to reassure them that everything was okay and told them to go back to sleep. But the barking persisted. I decided I'd better go and have a look, see what all the fuss was about, and of course to make sure nothing was wrong. I opened the kitchen door to find that one of our dogs had her face in a snarl, and quite clearly had something held in a bite. But whatever she was biting was invisible. I quickly opened the door of the crate, and the dogs quickly ran around to one side of me, continuing to bark at something that was now, by all appearances, on the other side of the room. As I stood there nervously... I suddenly got a little bit of fire in my belly when I realised my pregnant partner was still in bed with our unborn baby and it was my job to protect them. An old wives' tale came to mind, something my grandmother had often told me when I was growing up. It is said that if a dog or a horse is ever acting oddly or needlessly afraid, they may well be encountering a spirit And, apparently, if you look between their ears as this occurs, you will be able to see whatever is spooking the animal. But it's also believed that if you do this, you're giving up any protection you might have by not being able to see it, leaving you potentially vulnerable to attack should you see something of a bad nature. Given my newfound courage, I wasn't too concerned about being attacked. And so I picked up my little dog, I placed her in front of my face, my eyes directly at the back of her head, between her ears. I began to rotate in a circle starting at the point furthest away and heading in a clockwise direction, towards whatever the dogs were barking at. Just as my view reached a couple of feet from where the kitchen door was, it suddenly slammed shut. My dog began to fight my grip and so I placed her back on the ground. She ran to the kitchen door and began to scratch at it. I opened it and all three dogs sprinted down the hall and into the sitting room and once more began to snarl and bark violently. I quickly followed them and I picked up the dog again, repeating the process I'd just carried out in the kitchen. Once again... Just as my view was about to reach the sitting room door, it also slammed shut. The dogs began scratching at the door again and again I opened it. They raced back to the kitchen, still in a frenzy, as if trying to defend the home. I put the dogs back in the crate and carried them up to our bedroom. I sprinkled some holy water around the room and prayed for a while. The dogs slept soundly for the rest of the night. We later found out that the land upon which this house was built was originally on the grounds of a convent. This convent also housed a mother and baby home, not unlike another certain infamous mother and baby home in the west of Ireland. Given the atrocities carried out in that other mother and baby home, Who knows what sick or disturbing acts may also have been carried out in the place where we now lived. Let's jump forward in time 
to when we were living in the house where our first child was born. On occasion, we would go to visit my wife's family. They're based about a two and a half hour drive south from where we lived. One night, we got carried away with our visit, and after a long evening of chatting, we left home quite a bit later than usual. A couple of hours later, and we were finally nearing the end of our long drive. I looked at the clock on the dashboard of the car, and it read 1.27am. We passed through our nearest neighbouring town, and headed out of the roads towards home. A few hundred metres outside of town, on the right-hand side, is where the graveyard is located. My wife, who wasn't the most experienced driver at the time, had decided to challenge herself by taking on the task of the long nighttime drive. As we approached the graveyard, we noticed what seemed to be an elderly man running out onto the road in front of us. He just appeared from nowhere, out of the darkness, and as he approached the front of our car, I noticed that his hands were outstretched, like he was either trying to wave us down or else throw himself onto the bonnet of the car. Even though he seemed as if he wanted us to stop or alert us to some kind of emergency, I immediately knew that wasn't the case. His head was twisted at an unnatural angle looking back over his right shoulder as we approached from the opposite direction. He never once turned his face towards us. Just as we reached him, my wife asked if we should stop. Drive on, I shouted. She veered as much as possible to the left and slowed slightly to avoid hitting him. Just as we passed, he made one huge final lunge in a last desperate attempt to stop the car before my wife finally sped off. She immediately looked in the mirror and I spun round in the passenger seat, looking out of the back window of the car. But there was no one to be seen. Without divulging too much information, I later made an inquiry to my grandmother to see if she had any information on the history of that particular area. She told me that there was a man killed there in an accident involving a car around the time of World War II. She also gave me a description of what this man supposedly would have looked like, and it was eerily similar to the man we seen. It was a while before I travelled that road again, especially late at night. Another experience happened one night when I'd been out late for one reason or another. I can't quite remember why, but I had to get a lift off my mother, only back to her house to get my car that had been parked there whilst I was gone. I got in, started the car and headed for home. I was no more than 30 seconds into my journey when, all of a sudden, the CD player flashed on of its own accord. Now, the type of old technology this was meant that it always needed to be turned on manually, and when it was turned on, it would always default to track 1, and a preset medium level of volume. Instead, track 6 flashed up on the screen. Oh great, the devil's number, I thought jokingly to myself. My joking thoughts were suddenly interrupted by the most ear-splitting, high-pitched, deafening scream I've ever heard. It blasted from the speakers at full volume. In fact, it was much more than full volume, much louder than the age sound system of the car was capable of producing. The scream itself conveyed a lot of different emotions, some of fear, some of excruciating pain, but mainly sheer hatred and anger. I scrambled through the controls in my increasingly panicked state, but nothing I did could stop the terrible sound that was bellowing from my car. It gradually became deeper and now shifted into a violent, demonic roar. I prayed with all my might through utter fear and desperation, and it wasn't working, so I decided to play my trump card. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command Satan and all evil to leave this car and leave me alone. But if anything, it only got louder. I said it again, still no reaction. What now? I resorted to punching the screen of the CD player. Still, my efforts failed. 
and then I realized I was approaching the graveyard where my grandfather was buried. In an act of desperation, I called out his name just as I passed the gate and said, if you're there and you can hear me, please make this stop. The CD player stopped immediately and the car fell silent. I wiped my forehead with my hand, not realising that I was now drenched in sweat. A little bit of relief set in, and I said one more quick prayer to thank my grandfather for being with me when I needed him. The CD player didn't work for the rest of the journey. I thought it was broken for good, but when I started the car the next day, it worked perfectly, as though nothing ever happened. This brings us to 2016, when we moved into the house where we're still currently living. The previous house had once again been repossessed from the landlord, and we'd been given notice to leave. This put us in a terrible position, as there were no properties to rent in our area. Eventually we found this house, and on the surface, it was perfect. It was one town over from where we'd been living, but also in the direction of where I'd grown up, so to me it felt closer to home. I'd also attended secondary school in this town and played sports for the local teams as a youngster, so I felt I knew the community well. The house itself has plenty of space, and it's reasonably modern, with an enclosed garden. There's also a school just around the corner, which would soon be of use to us. Well, these were all big pluses, and given our situation, we were more than happy to move in immediately. Things were pretty good, and we were eager to get on with life, which we have. We've got married and had two more children since moving in, so obviously there have been good days. But if I was to go back in time, knowing what I know now... I don't think I'd ever have taken the keys to the place. You see, there is something, something exceptionally evil in this house. There have been a multitude of experiences in this house, and none of them pleasant. I suppose the first indication of this was in the first few days of moving in. I attached a wooden crucifix to the inside of the front door with blue tack. It seemed sturdy enough, but the following day the crucifix was on the floor. Well, it was just blue tack, I guess. So I decided to use glue. But after several days of trying, I still came down each morning to find the crucifix on the floor. I eventually just found a different place for the crucifix and got on with things. We haven't been particularly lucky in life over the last few years. Without going into it too much, this relates to our health in some ways. Nothing too serious or life-threatening, but not exactly Mickey Mouse stuff either. Now, I'm not suggesting that whatever evil lurks in our house has the power to affect our health. However, I do believe it is, in some small way at least, draining our energy. Which, over an extended period of time may well have adverse effect on our health, perhaps even the health and development of our children. Things happen in this house with such regularity that it's difficult to give many examples of specific events, but I will do my best to encapsulate the whole situation. Whatever this thing is, it certainly has the ability to mimic, because on countless occasions... We've heard our children call out to us whilst they're at school. Or we've heard each other while the other one is out the house. Not only does it have the ability to mimic our voices, but also particular sounds we might make around the home. One night, my wife was in bed upstairs and I was on my way home. She heard the front door unlocking, open, and then the bang of it closing, and even heard it locking once more. She then heard what she thought was me walking around the house downstairs, as well as turning on the TV. 
She presumed I wasn't coming to bed straight away and so gave me a quick ring to say goodnight before she went to sleep. So she was shocked to hear the engine humming in the background as I answered the phone. When she realised I was still driving, she became very afraid because she was so convinced that she'd had somebody come through the front door. I was only a couple of minutes away and I rushed home to find the door locked and nobody downstairs. I think it feeds off our fear, that and our anger. Things often go missing and originally this used to cause silly arguments. One example I can give is when my phone charger went missing one afternoon before work. I was eager to have it charged up because I use my mobile for work. Where I keep my charger plugged in was in a pretty awkward spot, squeezed tightly between the socket and the headboard of our bed. So someone would literally have to pull the bed out of the way to get to the socket. I gave a very clear look at the socket and was certain it wasn't there. So I went and bought a new one, only to find the old one plugged in when I returned. This had needlessly caused an argument between my wife and I, and I found that whenever we reacted to this silly nonsense, the paranormal activity tended to occur much more frequently. So we decided it was best to ignore all these kinds of things, and to be honest, we don't even mention or acknowledge any activities that occur whilst we're inside the house. The vast majority of this experience I'm writing from the front seat of my car, away from the house. It's not always possible to ignore these things, and there have been times when I have given a reaction, as is the case with my next experience. One night, I was up late gaming and chatting with one of my friends, and out of nowhere, the PlayStation and TV both turned off instantly like there was a power outage. I realised it wasn't a power outage, as there was still a light on at the other end of the kitchen. And then I heard it. One of the kids' toys, which belonged to my youngest, started going off. The same toy, which had run out of batteries months earlier. But that's not the scary part. You see, the phrases that were coming out of it well, they weren't actually programmed into it. I remembered the one or two phrases that it would say when my kids played with it. You want to play? It asked me as I approached it cautiously. I got that same old feeling. You know the one I mentioned earlier where my hair stands on end? I also got this sensation deep within myself, deeper than the pit of my stomach and there's kind of like an invisible fog that descends and blocks out the rest of the world. I'm sorry if I'm getting sidetracked on this point. It's just that I'm doing my best to describe it, but I feel like my description doesn't fully express the feeling to the point of satisfaction. I'm sure there are people out there that perhaps have never felt this, but I'd hazard a guess to say a lot of your listeners can relate to what I'm trying to say. Either you know the feeling or you don't. Anyway, I responded to the question by slowly and calmly going to get my holy water and a benedictine crucifix that I'd been gifted by my mother. As I looked up at the clock, I blessed my face and began to pray. It was 3.17am. I sprinkled the holy water over the toy and recited the prayer to St. Michael. It began to laugh at me and said I continued my prayer I repeated the prayer three times in total and all the while this thing laughed at me once I finished the prayer to St Michael for the third time I raised my arm up held the crucifix out towards the toy and walked slowly in its direction I began to command the evil out of the house in the name of Jesus Christ as I've done most of the times in my life when I believe I'm in the presence of evil. Similar to certain prayers, I often do this three times, but contrary to the intention of evil, 
My reason for doing this is out of respect for the Holy Trinity and to reiterate the power of God. The first time I said it, it replied, Are you sure? <laughs> and laughed once more. The second time there was a longer pause. And the final time I gave the order, it said, Okay, bye. Before switching itself off, I hurried to bed and I checked the fuse box the next day. None of the switches had been tripped to turn the power off to the TV and PlayStation. For the past six to nine months, we've known that we will be moving out of this house, but not exactly when. As there's work to be carried out in the new home, we started excitedly talking about our plans for the new place, and suddenly there was a huge spike in the amount of activity happening. The other week, while the kids were still at school, I happened to sleep in a little, as I was working late the previous night. It was around 9am, and suddenly someone started hammering at the bedroom door. The only problem was my wife was stood in the same bedroom as me, and our toddler was sleeping and could be seen doing so on the baby monitor. The new house is ready next week, and we get the keys Tuesday. We've stopped speaking about the move whilst we're in the current house. When we're out and about, I can feel that we're separated from it. As I mentioned earlier, this gives us peace of mind to speak more freely. We're mainly concerned because whatever is in our house doesn't seem to be happy about the prospect of us leaving. To be honest, I'm a little nervous it might try and follow us, or even attempt to hurt one of us, rather than let us leave. It's a scary prospect even for me, and I'm 29, 6 foot 4, a father of 3, and over 20 stone in weight. I don't scare easy. Given my experiences, I do obviously have a belief in the paranormal. However, I do adapt the take-it-with-a-pinch-of-salt attitude, especially in front of my kids, so as not to scare them. Despite this, my eldest son has had an experience himself. He was about six at the time and was playing with his younger cousin in one of the bedrooms of my mother's house. Suddenly, they both came running up to the kitchen where the adults were sat, and they claimed to have seen a woman through the window, which just looks out onto an open field. He told us she had black hair down her back and wore a long white dress, almost like a wedding dress, but not exactly. She stood perfectly still, just staring off to the left into the distance. His cousin said that she had seen her too, we went and we had a look, but of course there was no one there. Why would there be a woman of that description in the middle of a field in the countryside? Miles from the nearest town. But seeing my son's face, he certainly didn't make it up. If anything, he was rightly concerned as to why a strange woman in a dress would be wandering around a field in the first place. I just fobbed him off jokingly, but I never doubted him. Perhaps I'm some kind of conduit for the spirit world. Who knows? If so, then maybe it's a genetic trait. Although it's not talked about too often, there have been dozens of paranormal encounters by several members of my family, ranging from mild to downright horrific. I do have a theory, though, as to why this might be the case. As I mentioned at the start, I'm an Irish traveller, and for a thousand years, generation after generation of my ancestors have roamed the roads, lanes, bereans and byways of this country at every hour of the day and night. This being the case, who knows what types of paranormal happenings might have occurred through the years in these lonely, isolated places, or indeed what type of dark or terrible activities some poor soul may have naively participated in. Thank you sincerely for taking the time to read my experiences, and thanks once again for doing what you do. Best wishes, Johnny. Well, Johnny, that's certainly one hell of a way to end Season 12 
And the reason I love doing this show is I hear things I've never heard of before. I've studied the paranormal for well over 30 years, and this is the first time I've ever heard somebody picking a dog or an animal up and looking through their ears to see the spirit they may be looking at. Totally fascinating. But as I mentioned at the start, as I was about to put a rubber stamp on season 12, Johnny emailed in again. Hi Kevin, I have another update. I was debating whether to send it in or not, because I don't want to come across as some sort of idiot who jumps at his own shadow. But as this is single-handedly the most terrifying thing I've ever encountered, I think you should hear it. It's too much of an important part of the story I've already shared to not include. My wife and I returned from a holiday on August the 23rd, and we had a week to finish our move to the new place, before we had to hand back the keys to the landlord. On Friday the 25th of August, we went to bed for what would be our final night in the old house. I had gently, and perhaps jokingly, reminded the kids of this several times throughout that day, and so I guess whatever spirit lurks in that place must have picked up on that as well. I went to bed exhausted that night, and I'm by no means a light sleeper. A train could drive through the room and I'd be completely oblivious. But I woke up with a sudden jolt, like something had been touching me. I saw it immediately when I opened my eyes. It was above my wife, who slept on my left. I sat up and opened my eyes to make sure they weren't playing tricks on me. I was now undoubtedly 100% awake and floating above my wife and staring straight back at me was a black creature. It had a rounded body with the head of a goat. But rather than goat's horns, it had a big pair of deer antlers extending from its head. I always try to not fear evil like we're told to in the Bible and turn to God instead but I can honestly say that my initial reaction to this was absolute unfiltered terror. The only course of action I could muster was to slowly and carefully extend my hand to my wife's shoulder and try to tap her awake, but it didn't work. I was still staring at it, afraid that if I took my eyes off it, it might attack me in some way. It might be hard to picture a smirk on the face of an animal, but it had one, as if it was amused by my fear. I tried again to wake my wife, and this time she began to stir. I kept tapping her shoulder and eventually said, Wake up! As she eventually woke up, this thing started to become increasingly transparent, and by the time she sat up asking me what was wrong, it had disappeared altogether. I was still in a state of shock and panic, and I told my wife something frightening has just happened. She told me it was okay, go back to sleep. I guess she assumed I was just having a bad dream. I checked the time and it was around 5am, and I was so shaken, I turned on all the lights and the TV, and I didn't go back to sleep. I waited until morning and got the fuck out of there. I felt like this was some sort of final attempt for this thing to attach itself to me and my family before we left. A few days later, and the keys were given back, and it was such a huge relief to be rid of that place. The new house feels so light and breezy, and we couldn't be happier. Let's just hope it stays that way. Johnny. Well, Johnny, that is how you rubber stamp season 12. Thank you so much for your submission, and I wish you and your family the best in your new abode. And so that wraps up season 12. Thank you so much for choosing to spend your time with me here on your show, The Dark Paranormal. 
The start date for next season is an easy one to remember because it's Friday the 13th of October when we return with season 13. If you can't wait that long, then of course come and join us over on Patreon where you'll get full access to each Dark Bites episode with a new one released every Sunday. And of course, you'll be amongst the first to hear the debut episode of Season 13. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal, just like the following wonderful new team members have. Ida Arna, Jackie Gapes, John Doughty, Tegan Fleck, Rob Evertson, Kate Kate, Ingu Bior Conrad's Dottier, Donis Hohenjet, Johnny McDonough, Melissa Goodine, Theo Mercer, Victoria Smith, Haunted Pax, Luke Irvin, Karen Jordan, Daniel Chapman, Colby Smith, Sherry Rascon, Hardy Adams, Kirsten Johnson, Tony Genotolo, AG, Pity, Tony Allen, Candy Scobiel, Daniel Clark, Nancy O, Ruby Cumming, Danielle Flegg, Lauren, Alexander Garner, Ian Taylor, James, Victoria Villardi, Krista Wildflower, Chris Bogue, Danny Norrismith, Shannon Den Hartog, Miss Highgate, Austin, Lindsay Hogg, Angela Ortolani, Emily, Super Rainbow Pony, Libby Bailey, Pinky44652, Danny Bird, Chakra Magnet, Chloe Rose, Kenny Gavidia, Chloe Bowd, Salvador Martinez, Alyssa Fonaspec, Larissa Zul, Humanizia, JL Ducharme, Richie Groups Jr., Dick Moonhenchin, Kelly Ware, Veronica Cook, Rachel Schutzman, DKB, Melissa Shaw, Brittany Henry, Lisa Banks, Barbie, Lacey Ferris, Karen, Lillian Vanderblomen, Jane Hunter, Bianca Fuentes, Annette Forsman, Karen Douglas, Sabina Kalani, Brandy Moore, Donovan Russell, Dees Nuts, James Lee Walker, Zach Schmidt, Alex Talley, Maximus Vosberg, Carissa Nicole and Cheryl Bazaki. Thank you so much guys, it really does mean the world. And I hope you enjoy all of the ad-free content, the extra shows and of course those early releases. And so, until we speak again on Friday the 13th of October, remember, when you're discussing the paranormal, always try and leave some of your disbelief at the door. And I'll see you next time, right here, for Season 13 of The Dark Paranormal. <laughs>